The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, August 31st. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Dr. Robin Bernhoft. Dr. Bernhoft graduated from Harvard and earned his MD at Washington University Medical School, St. Louis. After surgery residency at UCSF, where he published over 20 scientific papers and a liver pancreatic surgery fellowship in London, England, he entered private practice, joining the clinical faculty of the University of Washington Medical School. After several years of busy surgical practice, he became environmentally ill from leaving disinfectant on his hands throughout 600 operations per year. The toxic chemicals he absorbed swamped Dr. Bernhoff's ability to detoxify and gave him skin, respiratory, and GI problems, which caused him to lose 35 pounds in four months. In order to understand what was happening to him and to survive, Dr. Bernhoff retrained in environmental medicine. By applying what he learned, he regained his health. Not only that, Dr. Bernhoff helped his wife with her environmental toxicity, as well as his son, who has Down syndrome and who had regressed into autism as a youngster. Dr. Bernhoft has helped bring him forward, too. Welcome, Dr. Bernhoft. Hi, Terry. Thanks. It's good to be here. Well, thank you. And I'll start with our signature question. What do you think autism is? <laughs> Probably the same thing everybody else thinks. is a lack of social understanding, uh, you know, repetitive behaviors, you know, difficulty in communicating, um, isolation socially, stuff like that. It's a very painful thing to watch. My own son as you mentioned, he has Down syndrome and was a fairly happy, huggy little Downs kid until he was six. He got a bunch of shots, and we didn't really see the connection at the time. It took 10 years to figure that out, but um, going back at old family videos, suddenly he's sitting over in the corner with his fists in front of his face watching the world go by and not being involved watching the other children play. And you know, It was pretty brutal to watch. We managed to get him back eventually for the most part. He's about 95% recovered, I think, by various things we'll talk about during the program. All right. So you mentioned the outward behavioral manifestations that are are the hallmarks of, of what gives us the diagnostic label of autism. But what do you really think autism is? Well, it's a total body disease. I mean, it affects the brain, the gut, the immune system, pretty much everything that's been studied. It's a hugely uh, inflammatory, oxidative stress-based state, which affects a bunch of organs. You know, it's total body disease. Okay, so what are the organ systems affected? Well, the most obvious one is the brain, um, with all of the social stuff we were talking about and behavioral stuff. But the gut is almost as obvious in most kids. You have reflux and constipation. You have uh, leaky gut, you know, excessive permeability. You get um, uh, sort of narcotic effect from in many kids from uh, milk and uh, or dairy, dairy products in general and um, wheat products, gluten-related stuff, uh, which produce little sort of pseudo-narcotics, uh, exorphins they're called, they're sort of like morphine. Henry used to do that. He used to love pizza, and he would eat a pizza, and he'd be off in dreamland for the next six hours, just kind of nodding and looking at the corner, like one of my heroin addicts when I was training in San Francisco. It, um, the gut is very obvious. The immune system is fairly obvious as well. There's a lot of uh, abnormalities if you look for them. Kids with autism don't necessarily have more infections. In fact, if Andrew, if anything, had fewer, but... If you start looking at white cell patterns or cytokines or you know, inflammatory chemicals that produce various reactions, you see a very distorted picture. You know, there's a lot of noise in there, a lot of uh, bad stuff going on. 
Okay, so some of our listeners may not understand what cytokines are, but I think what you've just done is you've connected the gastrointestinal system with the immune system. You were talking about a loss of gut integrity, right. and so and that allows um, proteins to go through, and that causes cytokines from the immune system, and then that this all translates to the cognitive effects that we see in the brain. Is that a pretty good synopsis? Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, the, you know, the, the deeper you know, that we go into studying autism. There is, to back up for a second, there is, 800 years ago there was an English philosopher named William of Ockham who came up with Ockham's Razor, which is the idea that the simplest explanation is the best. Well, ain't so. Uh, in biochemistry, you don't have any straight lines connecting point A to point B. What you have is cobwebs connecting everything to everything else. And so the deeper we look in autism, we see that each of these things is uh, sort of feeding on each other and producing a kind of vicious cycle where one bad thing reinforces another bad thing and reinforces another bad thing. So you've got to kind of break the whole thing all at once. Right. Okay. So we do know that there are uh, abnormalities that have been observed in the nervous system, like neurotransmitter enzymatic and structural abnormalities. Can you explain some of those? Well, it's fairly complicated, actually. I mean, one of the things that comes up very frequently in the brain uh, as a sort of underlying thing with neurotransmitter abnormalities, there are in, there's an uh, inflammatory excitotoxin called glutamate, which stimulates a receptor called NMDA, which then does its whole cascade of inflammatory stuff in the brain, which then in turn has negative effects on on neurotransmitters. And the response is not uniform. I mean, some people have, you know, the whole serotonin thing blown out of shape. Others will have the stimulant ones blown out of shape. I mean, it really varies quite a bit. It's it's pretty complicated. All right. I guess the message here, the uh, the takeaway message at seven minutes after nine is that these are real physiological issues. And when we unravel these physiological issues, these legitimate uh, issues, we can do something about it. Well, that's the ultimate bottom line. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's been known, and uh, we have, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself talking about our clinical series, but we have a bunch of cures according to the neurologists that diagnose them. So, you know, it is possible. Oh, and I think other people do, too. That's wonderful. Okay, so we talked about abnormalities that have been observed in the nervous system a little bit. Let's talk about abnormalities on a metabolic level, mitochondrial function and enzyme and substrate deficiencies. Well, there is just a raft of noise going on there. I mean, these kids are really, you know, sabotaged at every level in, in many ways. Um, looking at mitochondrial function, for the listeners, and mitochondria are the little energy cells within the cell. They look like little bacteria, and they produce uh, energy, essentially. And they take oxygen and sugar and whatnot and turn it into energy. And you can measure things like oxidative stress, you measure there are things like uh, lipo, uh, lipo, um, oxidated lipoproteins and uh, T-bars and stuff like this, which are, are uh, metabolic things you can measure, and they're wildly abnormal. I mean, it's showing that the energy production system in the mitochondria are very badly um, impaired. You know, there's a lot of inefficiency, a lot of oxygen spinning off and doing damage instead of being used for productive energy use. So there's a lot of things you can measure there. As far as enzymes and substrates and so on, there's, there's a whole glutathione system. Glutathione is a short protein with three amino acids in it, which the body uses to hook on to various toxins to get rid of. It's also an antioxidant. It does a lot of stuff. And virtually every kid with autism is very deficient in, in uh, glutathione, very deficient in glutathione precursors. The R series, they have a bunch of enzyme abnormalities where they can't process or can't use uh, glutathione to hook onto stuff very efficiently, which is why they get sick, because they can't get rid of things like heavy metals, not just mercury, but aluminum and lead and other stuff. Um, can't get rid of car exhaust efficiently. They can't get rid of herbicides, pesticides. There's a lot of stuff that can produce damage with their enzyme abnormalities. All right. So is we, we've talked about uh, things that are going on a metabolic level. We've talked about things that are going on in the nervous system. Are there coagulation abnormalities that are also seen? Well, there are. Again, there's a certain amount of variability on that, but some of these cytokines I mentioned before, these inflammatory um, messenger chemicals, can either make kids hypercoagulable or some hypo, which is kind of weird. But again, 
everybody's different, and this is a very complex disease. It's got a lot of different layers of causation. There's sort of a final common pathway of the behavioral stuff, but you've got a lot of things leading into that, which can produce a lot of different noise in the process. Okay, so you're to- you're talking about a final common pathway that produces the behavioral stuff, yet this is not a some psychological genetic disease or epidemic. Is there a unifying theory uh, with which all of what you've said is consistent? Well, I think there is, and I think that you know, I'm not the only one saying this either. Just yesterday, somebody sent me the uh, videotape of. Um, Senator Boxer's uh, Senate committee, they did a hearing a month or so ago on environmental causes of autism, starring the director of the National Institutes of Environmental Health Sciences and the second-in-command at the EPA, plus a number of their scientists. And they talked consistently about gene-environment interactions, and that happens in a bunch of different ways, so we can really get into that later in the show. But the bottom line seems to be that there is... A combination of genetic susceptibility where kids can't clear stuff that they're exposed to. And I just gave you some of those a minute ago, heavy metals, car exhaust, uh, pesticides, etc. So these things build up in the system, and they start producing oxidative stress, which produces inflammation, which starts producing the kind of metabolic stuff we were talking about. So the final common pathway is this behavioral stuff, but it's an extremely biochemical process, which seems to be started by environmental pollution and genetic inability to clear the pollution. Right. It always used to bother me when at the school there was uh, a, a special segregated school for individuals diagnosed with autism in the state in which we used to live. Uh-huh. And it always used to bother me that the, in the morning the kids were waiting outside, you know, for all of the kids to gather for their classes, um, just standing behind all of the bus fumes. from they the- idling. Oh, for crying out loud. Cause- yeah, really. <laughs> the, the glutathione S transfer, every one of the kids in our 600-strong series that I'm trying to write up at the moment has major defects in that enzyme system, which clears, I'll give you the list again, heavy metals, not just mer- mercury, but aluminum and a bunch of other stuff, herbicides, pesticides, solvents, uh, you know, stuff like that. There's a lot of evil humors, and car and diesel exhaust are very high on the list. Right, so first they'd have them stand in the bus fumes, then they would take them in for breakfast for perhaps a bowl of uh, Fruit Loops with <laughs> milk. That's and a definite Loops, I used to call it when my kids wanted to eat them. But anyway, yeah, right. yeah and, and then do the, the gummy bears and Ew. regular pretzels for reinforcers and, you know, maybe throw in some Skittles and M&Ms. And, um, <laughs> and everything on the list that you just gave us is uh, one that stimulates oxidative stress, which is the underlying problem, so good. Yeah. Yeah, and then if there were behaviors, they'd put a behavior plan in place and say, oh, look, pat themselves on the back and say, oh, look, we managed the child's behaviors. Okay, why don't you just not cause the child's behaviors? (laughs) Well, you know, Feingold tried to study the whole business of food coloring and whatnot 30 years ago, and there have been a bunch of studies since then. And, uh, you know, the impact on, on kids without autism of those types of chemicals on their behavior. And, you know, it's not a pretty picture even in the absence of autism. Correct. So I think this is a good time to go to break, and we'll pick up with this when we come back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back with Dr. Robin Bernhoff. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to autismhopealliance.org. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Robin Bernhoft, who, by the way, has a new show coming up on this, the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, 21st Century Medicine, which will be talking about genomics and environmental medicine. It debuts 5 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, September 14th. And before the break, we were touching upon the fact that we are not alone. It's not just autism. So, Dr. Bernhoft, how does oxidative stress and inflammation play an important role in the pathophysiology of neurodegenerative disorders in general? Maybe we should define a little bit what oxidative stress is before we go on. And we, you know, kind of bowled people over in the first segment with an awful lot of biochemistry, more than people at 9 o'clock Pacific time can handle, I think. So, um, Oxygen, as we breathe it, is O2. There's two oxygen molecules stuck together. It's neutral from a plus-minus charge standpoint. And in that form, it's pretty safe. The body can park it until it needs it and run it through the mitochondria, boom, off you go. It works. But uh, if it splits into a negative, so you've got a single oxygen with a negative charge on it, that stuff is crazy. It reacts with everything. It's very hard to control. It damages DNA and uh, blood vessel linings and uh, enzymes and membranes and all kinds of stuff. It's actually one of the leading theories of aging at the moment is that the O minuses destroy the membranes inside the mitochondria over time. But um, anyway, so this stuff is nasty, and increasingly, as people are looking at uh, diseases across the board, they keep finding it. Neurodegenerative is a very good example where it seems to stir up the whole glutamate, NMDA, brain inflammation thing. The connected tissue cells in the brain start getting inflamed, and a lot of bad stuff happens start losing um, nerve cells and whatnot. But it's also true with cardiac disease. Peter Levy, the head of the uh, cardiology department at Harvard, published an article about three or four years ago now, um, which he said the problem with cardiac disease is not cholesterol, which I found very gratifying because I've wondered for 25 years, why are there as many heart attacks with cholesterols of 150 as 350? What's going on? What Libby says is that these little negative oxygen radicals damage the lining of the artery, then the oxygen cholesterol seeps in, whether it's 150 or 350, and then you get all the inflammation and whatnot following that. You find the same thing with diabetes and autism and pretty much everything that's been looked at. These little negative oxygen radicals do a lot of damage. All right. So consistent with that, is that to say that individuals who are on the autism spectrum might be more prone to cardiac issues in the future? Well, that's a good question. I haven't actually read anything about that, but would it make sense? Because they have so many markers of oxidative stress, I would assume that probably would turn out to be the case. I just haven't read that. Okay, so from your experience or, or reading of the literature, does, how does autism share these foundational pathophysiological features with other chronic illnesses? Well, basically, I was just saying that they all have this underlying oxidative stress business, and it, it isn't really just oxygen, negatively charged oxygen. There's also negatively charged nitric oxide. There's uh, peroxynitrite. There's uh, hydrogen peroxide. There's a bunch of things. And incidentally, uh, there's an enzyme that's supposed to convert hydrogen peroxide to water to stop the damage, which is also deficient in autism. And it isn't that they were necessarily born that way. Some of these enzyme deficiencies can be acquired as well by sufficient environmental poisoning. So there's, it's a fairly complex interrelationship. 
Right. Is that one of the reasons that it's a good idea to uh, eventually safely detoxify under routine medical monitoring? Well, yeah. I mean, that was a big part of uh, the cures that I, I think we're going to talk about in a little while. But, um, you know, the Centers for Disease Control actually published a document 10 years ago saying that virtually all chronic illness, whether you're talking about cardiac, neurodegenerative, you know, whatever, GI, et cetera, results from this same process, genetic susceptibility to particular environmental toxins and exposure to those toxins. They build up and they start poisoning things. Mm-hmm. Well, when we look at the organ systems of patients with autism spectrum disorder, how do we see the measurable evidence of oxidative stress? Well, there's there are a lot of both direct and indirect measures. You can look at um, measures of... Um, T-bars, which are these thiobarbiturate reactive substances, which are things in the bloodstream. There's uh, oxidized lipoproteins. There's a whole series of uh, there are things called isoprostanes. There's a series of, of chemical results of these activities going on in the various organs that get into the bloodstream, so you can measure them directly. You can also look at other uh, functional measurements. The brain, for example, there's less blood flow to the temporal lobes in autism, which is kind of interesting. And at autopsy, you find um, in the brain of autistic people, you find lipofusin, which is a um, oxidized protein deposit, which gets into various parts of the brain, uh, it's, which also seems to reflect oxidative stress, damaging protein and causing them to deposit as sort of useless chunks. So you see a lot of, of both direct and indirect evidence. Okay. So this is not just you know, hocus-pocus theory, we can actually measure uh, metabolic biomarkers and, and use other objective laboratory and diagnostic testing to look for evidence of oxidative stress. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, certainly not. If it's hocus-pocus theory, there's a whole lot of people at NIH and the EPA that seem to take it very seriously, as we heard at that uh, hearing I was talking about with Senator Boxer. Okay. There's Would a lot you... of stuff in the literature as well. I mean, people might be interested. There's a public access to the National Library of Medicine called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. It sounds like a bar. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, PubMed, you can go to a search engine. You can look for autism and oxidative stress or whatever, and you know, there's 800 papers which you can work your way down and read to your heart's content. So there's a lot of this stuff. I mean, there's a huge amount of publication on this stuff, and it's very accessible to parents. And I find autistic parents, A, are very tenacious because they've got a little kid that they're trying to save, and B, they're usually pretty smart as well, so they can work their way through this stuff, I think, very successfully. Absolutely. I've always said that MD stands for Mother Determined. <laughs> no, or Mother Lion. It's okay. Well, that doesn't spell quite right, but anyway, they're pretty tough. Well, you were talking about the master antioxidant earlier, and that is glutathione. Right. Tell us about the glutathione levels in children with autism. Low, low to very low. And, again, partly that may reflect some genetic production issues, synthesis issues. It also might reflect that this stuff's being used up because there is so much oxidative stress going on. They've been poisoned from so many directions. Glutathione system is exhausted by trying to cope with it. But it's uh, glutathione is great stuff. I mean, this is hooking toxins onto glutathione to make them water soluble to get them out of the body is one of the major ways the uh, liver deals with detoxification. And if you haven't got the glutathione to do that with, even if you have normal enzymes for that process, which these kids don't, you got a problem. Good point. Well, what other antioxidants are deficient? Well, just about everything, actually. Uh, lipoic acid is deficient. Vitamin C is deficient, uh, usually vitamin E. Pretty much every antioxidant that's been looked at has been deficient. And, again, I think it isn't necessarily that they started out that way. I mean, I think it has to do with just exhaustion of trying to deal with all of the toxic results of the things they've been exposed to that they've been able to process. Okay, so we end up with this self-perpetuating cycle of oxidative stress inflammation, and immune abnormalities. Yeah, which is really a nasty business. Martin Paul, who's a biochemistry researcher at Washington State University, has this theory that pretty much all of the diseases we've been talking about have this perpetuating cycle of nitric oxide to peroxynitrate going around and around. So you've got this sort of 
vicious cycle biochemically where you keep generating oxidative stress once you get to a certain point. You can block that and stop it, but it tends to become a self-perpetuating thing after a while. But that being said, I mean, you, to get back to detoxification for a second, the one consistent theme that the chemicals that aren't processed adequately by this genetic system that we alluded to briefly, metals and pesticides and car exhaust and whatnot, every one of those, if you accumulate them in the body, generate oxidative stress. And if you can lower their content, it relieves oxidative stress, at least to some extent. Okay. I'm going to jump over the gut. I wanted to talk about the gut, but let's jump over that um, because you've mentioned genes a couple of times. Okay. So, first of all, let me ask you something. Foundationally, how important do you feel it is to identify the true causal factors underlying autism? Moderately, in the sense that, um, well... Actually, I should probably hesitate on that because virtually everybody in our series has similar genetic issues, so you could probably start cheating from the hip with you know, 95% confidence without spending the money on the genetics testing. So that may answer that question. But uh, the can you rephrase the question because I think I'm going in a different direction from what you said. That's okay. It's, it's, it's a fine direction. How important do you feel it is to identify the true causal factors? Oh, I see what you mean in terms of whether it's car exhaust or uh, mercury or aluminum or whatever. I'm not sure it matters that much because they most of the things respond to similar um, detoxification regimens. It's easier to get metals out if you have a kid that's old enough to do chelation, for example, or you could do the transcutaneous stuff with Dr. Bertar's stuff, which seems to work pretty well. Then... Um, it's easier to get metals out than it is to get uh, herbicides or pesticides out because that requires sauna time usually, and they're not real good at sitting still in a sauna. Uh, <laughs> most of the most these little kids aren't anyway. But that being said, also biochemists have figured out ways to make the deficient enzyme system I'm talking about work better, so you can actually get the liver running more efficiently, and that you know that floats all the boats at the same time. Oh well, that's. That's really hopeful. Again, yeah. this, is, this is really hopeful information. Yeah. You know, I bet if we just have a, a pack of um, little red candies with lots of food can coloring on them, then <laughs> get the kids to sit in the sauna. And on that note, we will pick up when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymatica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com the Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. Mark your calendar and set an alarm so you do not miss the highly acclaimed talk show, Holistic Living with Tina Marie and Todd Allen. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, and 10 a.m. Pacific for inspirational, oftentimes edgy discussions on all that life brings our way with celebrity guests, world-famous authors, and everyday people dedicated to sharing positive, uplifting messages. Tina Marie and Todd Allen bring you the very best in talk radio discussions, guaranteed to make you smile. 
opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Robin Bernhoft, and before we talk a little bit more about uh, issues to do with genes, you were mentioning that a good way to get rid of pesticides is to sweat them out in a sauna. Well, the, most of the residues are stored in the fat, and if you get in a sauna, especially an infrared sauna, which penetrates down four or five centimeters, you end up heating them up a little bit. They get volatile, and they either come out in the sweat or you breathe them out. Uh, when I was sick, I spent a lot of time in the sun. I was at that time. I was also feeling pretty weird, you know. So I, my gut was all messed up, and I wasn't so sure I wasn't going crazy. A lot of the docs I was going to were, were sure I was, but anyway, the um, I was sweating out all this weird smelling stuff and different colors of sweat. I thought it was my imagination until I spent a couple of weeks in Dallas at the Environmental Health Center, just following Dr. Ray around as a preceptor. And um, one afternoon, I went down to the sauna area. They've got eight saunas and a bunch of showers and big basins for towels and stuff. And I was telling the sauna tech, I wonder if this is my imagination. He said, not at all. Go back and look at the towels. So I went back and sure enough, you know, the, the day's towels were all accumulated in these canvas ba- you know, basin things and um, different kind of light tinges of color on this on these white towels, which I would thought was reassuring. And he said on the way back, just kind of breathe as you go past those two guys that are still in those saunas over there and tell me what you think. And so we got up front and I said, I think the guy over there has got gasoline coming out. He said, no, it's aviation fuel. I oh, said, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so the other guy, I don't know, he's kind of sweet smelling. I don't know what that is. He said, that's toluene from a glue factory accident. Both of these guys smelled like you could light a match and blow them up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and my children used to complain because I had the sauna down in the basement, and they'd say, oh, Dad, what are you doing in there? It's so gross. What is that steak? You know, and getting all these old chemicals and stuff out. I mean, it's really pretty dramatic. And there have been studies done looking at the quantities in fat. And over time, if you keep somebody in the sauna you know, and do that for several months and do serial fat biopsies, then the concentrations come down. And when the concentrations come down, the symptoms come down because they Fat acts kind of like a um, time-release capsule. You know, you get a little whiff of stuff into the bloodstream, and you get some symptoms from it. Right. I've read. I, I read in Dr. Wooten's book, and I interviewed him last week, and he's very, very, very keen on the sauna. Yeah. Um, well, he might be. <laughs> yeah. As as soon as you smell it, it you've already gotten it into you. That's true. That's true. One of the defense mechanisms that people come up with this has been uh, documented by Bill Meggs at the University of North Carolina and a researcher in Australia uh, independently. The nervous system, if you get enough solvents and whatnot in your body, pesticides, etc., the sensory nerves in the nose actually become measurably very, very sensitive. So the idea that you know, people have super noses is actually quite true. And, uh-huh. uh, there's also a kind of reaction where you smell, ooh, you know, there's perfume coming 10 miles away. Right. And the nervous system sort of gets this hyper readiness and sometimes even gets histamine release on that basis, a neurologic or neurogenic histamine release. Right. So there's a kind of self-defense mechanism. Ooh, there's more stuff coming. Let's get out of here. Right. I, I avoid the detergent, you know, the cleaning aisle in the... Uh, oh, grocery stores, yeah. Yeah, grocery store, five-and-dime store. Yeah. Your tank is full. You need to spend some time in the sauna. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know how the people who work there can tolerate those aisles. I just, I just can't imagine it. Well, they've either got good uh, enzymes of the type we've been talking about, or they're so so numb they don't really notice anymore. Yeah, or they don't realize that there's a danger there. Well, you know, when I was sick, I could. Um, I mean, it was it's not subtle. When I would go down, let's say to the. Um, perfume counter at Macy's, I would get extremely dizzy and nauseated and headache and have to go out and sit outside and breathe car exhaust with my head between my knees to get away from it. And it lasted about 20 minutes. I mean, it wasn't subtle. Now, my tank is cleaned out sufficiently that I don't like the smell of perfume, but it doesn't make me sick anymore. Okay. All right. Very good. So it is yeah. possible. It is well, possible. Yeah, absolutely. Recover absolutely. from these things. Um, as, as listeners know from from hearing me on one or two other shows, I recently lost 20 pounds, and the way I did that was to alkalize, was to, to go for ingesting things that were um, would alkalize you rather than making you acidic, and the acid is stored in your fatty tissues, too. You were talking about toxins, toxins being stored in the fatty tissues. 
Well, the alkalinity also makes the liver enzymes we're talking about work better. They do much better and more efficient in an alkaline environment. Speaking of alkalinizing diets, I should maybe put a plug-in unpaid and unreimbursed for my end. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Servin, uh, David Servin Schreiber, who's a medical professor at the University of Pittsburgh. He's written a book called Anti-Cancer, which pulls together a lot of the recent research on how alkalinizing diets can actually stop cancer that's already present or prevent it from happening. And it also happens to be good for just about everything else. And he's given, there are a couple of minor quibbles I have with the book, but on the whole, the book has got very good specific dietary advice for people. Okay, very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. You know, and I've said it, other people have, uh, other people more esteemed than I have said it, take out the bad, add the good, yeah. and then put in what repairs the damage that's, that was done. So Yeah, that's it. Three simple steps there. So what is the difference? Getting back to genes. Get, what okay. is the difference between people saying that autism is caused by genetics versus genes having a role in autism? Well, that's a good question. It's got a fairly complex answer, I think. There's been a, um, what I think, very simple-minded search for a, quote, autism gene, unquote, for a long time. This gets back to what I was saying you know, 20 minutes ago about William of Ockham looking for the simplest razor. You know, the Martha Herbert, who's a friend of mine who does pediatrics neurology research at Harvard and is very interested in autism, looked at the genome in a whole bunch of autistic kids a couple of years ago. She found 128 genes that were you know, kept coming up, most of which had to do with detoxification. Some of them had to do with other stuff. None of them had anything to do with neurodegeneration or neurodevelopment. I mean, it's not a defect in some kind of neurological-based gene. It's an environmental problem. So then the question is, what do genes do there? The problem there gets back to what I was saying about the CDC. You've got, you know, the liver is supposed to, and other parts of the body as well, but mostly the liver, is supposed to clear out the junk that we're exposed to in everyday life. If we don't clear it out, it builds up, and most of these things can interfere with DNA repair, DNA transcription, uh, enzyme function, membrane stability, gut integrity, you name it. I mean, it messes up everything. This stuff builds up because... We're exposed to stuff that we can't process, and different people have got different abilities to process. So some people get sick when they go to the perfume counter at Macy's, and some people don't because their genes are different. Some people are easy, have an easier time of handling the corruption of modern life than others. So the kids in our autistic series, should I talk specifically about the enzymes there That uh, in our series? Is this a good time for that? That's fine. Okay. There's a family of enzymes called glutathione S-transferase, which is what I've been referring to. They clear herbicides, pesticides, heavy metals, solvents, um, car and diesel exhaust, and steroids. And I think every one of the 600 kids lack glutathione S-transferase M1, which is what I lack, which is what I got sick doing surgery. And they also have defects in some of the backup enzymes. But the good news is you can build up the other backup enzymes with known inducers, biochemical simple things, you know, uh, vitamin and mineral stuff. So you've got more worker bees replacing the damaged stuff. You can also throw in more cofactors for the reactions that they do, which, again, has been figured out since the Genome Project. So you can actually make the uh, glutathione transferase family work relatively well, which is why I'm healthy now and not dying like I was six or seven years ago. Um, and this works for autistic kids as well because it's the same issue. Wow. And so... Glutathione transferase enzymes are broken in these kids. They get exposed to a bunch of shots and a bunch of car exhaust and a bunch of pesticides and herbicides, and then this stuff builds up, and eventually they start getting all this oxidative stress, and it starts poisoning their brain and their gut and their immune system and so on and so forth. Okay, everybody, that is the take-home message from this show. Exactly. That, that scientific explanation right there. And to let you know that there is hope, just like there was for Dr. Bernhoff, just like there is for his son, there is hope for your child. Well, we've got 68 kids so far that we've cured with this approach. Wow, that's wonderful. The other 500 and some are continuing to improve. We don't know what they're, you know, they're going to flatten out and not get better or whether they're going to get back to normal. I don't know. Time will tell. Okay, so, again, to, to make the point that has been made on the show so many times before, there cannot be a genetic epidemic. It is categorically, dramatically <laughs> impossible. There can be heritable defects in detoxification pathways. Um, there can be genetic susceptibility. But, but so many years ago, decades and decades ago, before we started pelting ev everybody with so many toxins, environmental triggers, you did not have the epidemic of autism. Uh, 
And given enough poisons, anybody's going to go down anyway. And one of the factors is immunizations, in my humble opinion. I see about two kids a month that were cruising along just fine, and they get a bunch of shots at their second or sixth birthday. This applies to my son as well. And that's it. They're gone. And um, maybe it was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back, but it, it is one of the things that, you know, the formaldehyde and the aluminum and mercury that are in most of the shots are part of the glutathione transferase job description. If they're not, enzymes aren't working properly, those things are going to accumulate and push them over the edge. I see that twice a month. So finding the true causes for what really happened in the autism epidemic gives us some really hopeful therapeutic directions, and we're going to talk about them when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Robin Bernhoff. Thanks to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. more live better voice america health and wellness the autism hope alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism the goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today diet modification biomedical intervention and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery through these efforts we believe hope will replace hopelessness recovery for our children is a reality for more information go to autismhopealliance.org More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Robin Bernhoff. And what kind of therapeutic directions do we have? using the information that you've given us? Well, there's a lot, actually. I mean, the Defeat Autism Now people have done marvelous work on a lot of the metabolic stuff. Um, Buttar has pioneered a lot of uh, stuff on, on chelation and other, you know, we've done some other stuff on detoxification. But um, you know, from a lab standpoint, since it's a complicated disease and there's a lot of things going on, there's quite a bit of stuff we tend to do up front. You know, stool analysis is obviously very important, uh, good quality when looking at a lot of factors. Um, routine stuff like CBC, comprehensive metabolic, um, thyroid panel, lipid panel, iron panel, things like that. Possibly uh, strep titers because sometimes autistic-like behavior will come after a strep infection, and that has a different direction that we go. Um, the genomic panel that I was talking about looking at phase one and phase two detox enzymes relevant to some of the things we've been talking about is very helpful. There are a number of ways of looking at um, you know, organic acids, neutrophil, things like that, where you're looking at um, metabolic deficiencies, which can be fixed short-term, because you still have to fix this stuff. And if you're dealing with the underlying issue, there's a lot of ongoing metabolic stuff that needs to be corrected anyway. Vitamin D is also very important. That's usually very low in Down's kids as well. 
I mean, in autistic kids as well. And um, treatment, you know, there's things like the gluten-free, casein-free diet. There's replacement of a great many. There's a lot of evidence, for example, with uh, high dose of vitamin C, reasonable doses of zinc and magnesium. Uh, selenium tends to be kind of low uh, vitamins and minerals, amino acids, uh, based on some of the testing I just did. Um, Polyunsaturated fatty acids, you know, good quality fish oil that has been tested so it doesn't have metals and PCBs and isn't rancid, doesn't make people burp. Um, you know, each of these has some benefit in terms of dealing with parts of the equation, but I mean, ultimately, you got to deal with the underlying causation, which is detoxification. And the single easiest thing to do, I mean, the thing we did in our series with the 68 cures that I mentioned was chelation, either with the transdermal DMPS and EDTA or intravenous if the child was, or adult for that matter, was large enough to, uh, and cooperative enough to tolerate that. One of the things about cooperation that's kind of interesting with both transdermal and IV is that although very frequently at the beginning, the patient fights back fairly vigorously, they learn very quickly that it makes them feel better. So then they start holding their arm out. Okay, put my IV in. You know, they, may, they may not be able to say those words, but they will hold their arm out and wait for you to do it and put up with the needle stick. Um, the genomics themselves um, require a number of nutritional things depending on the defect. You know, the Tissa Genome Project has identified these abnormalities. Biochemists have figured out ways to make them work better, either by inducing more of a deficient enzyme or throwing in more cofactors or whatever. So there are usually some nutritional, you know, nutraceutical kind of things that need to be done there as well. Saunas, if uh, you can pull that off, I mean, a lot of my patients aren't cooperative enough to stay in the sauna, and it's cruel and unusual to tie them up and put them in there, so we, we emphasize more the other modalities. But sauna is great if you can get cooperation. Right. But there's also you know, the attention to the gut, you know, probiotics and gut healing agents and whatnot. So we have different means of detoxification, some of which are more natural than others. There's right. chelation, massage, exercise, exercise with oxygen, right. sublingual immunotherapy, right. uh, vitamin and mineral IDs like a glutathione ID. Do you want to go into any of these? Exercise with oxygen is kind of interesting. Again, you know, getting a four-year-old autistic kid to do that is kind of um, difficult, but this is something that's very well established in Europe, and it's gradually catching on in this country. I was gratified. I've been doing it for about three years. I noticed recently the UCLA um, exercise medicine department just started doing it for other purposes. But um, one thing we haven't mentioned is oxytocin. I haven't had very good results with oxytocin personally, but there are some published studies that oxytocin, at least in some kids in particular, seems to improve social interaction. So that's another thing that's worth worth trying, at least. Okay, and insofar as the testing, which are the routine laboratory tests for monitoring during something like IV or oral chelation? All right, in that case, every five weeks we repeat um, comprehensive metabolic and... Um, Iron panels, we repeat the thyroid and lipids uh, much more infrequently than that, but um, other things like the stool analysis and what I don't need to be repleted that quickly. Organic acids, maybe every six months or so to see how we're doing metabolically. Um, so it, it depends a little, also a bit on the specific issues with the child. Okay. And before we go towards signing off, I wanted to get back towards the gut. Okay. Um, what is the downward spiral in the gut once the oxidative once oxidative stress is at work? I know that you were talking about nitric oxide and et cetera. Well, you get a couple of, I mean, you get structural things. You get reflux because the sphincter gets weak between the esophagus and the stomach. You get constipation because the motility is a mess. But you also get uh, permeability increases, so-called leaky guts. So you start absorbing a lot of stuff, which in themselves become a source of oxidative stress. So you have a kind of vicious cycle building up. So you need to to heal gut integrity, and the stool analysis normally will give us a pretty good idea of whether there's a food allergy component, for example, in which case the sublingual drops become relevant, um, whether dysbiosis, which is almost always present. Usually there's not enough good bacteria. There's a lot of yeast. There's a lot of occasionally parasites, things like that. So all these things need to be treated, and generally um, most of the parasites and so on and yeast will respond to a number of herbal preparations which don't have the side effects that some of the more 
aggressive antibacterials do or anti antifungals. Um, there's also some healing agents that need to be done on top of that. Usually, things like glutathione, again, powdered glutathione, which doesn't get into the system; it gets you know, consumed by the gut. It's a great healing agent. Glutamine, vitamin A are also very good healing agents. Um, there are a couple of uh, commercial products that have come out in the last couple of months, which seem to have some pretty good things in the various uh, oil of uh, oregano and whatnot that seem to be very soothing to the gut lining and seem to have pretty good results. Okay. So just, again, to stress to our listeners that when embarking upon any significant biomedical regimen with your child, it's important to consult a doctor who knows the underlying physiological issues, the true underlying physiological issues inherent in a diagnosis of autism and who keeps up to date on all of the latest information and who will provide routine medical monitoring with objective laboratory testing so that you can do these things safely with your child. I know that Dr. Bernhoft has covered a lot of information here. He's touched upon a lot of different subjects here. If you'd like to catch up with him and learn more about Dr. Bernhoft and his practice uh, and see some information on his website, that is www.drbernhoft.com, and you'll find the website for the Bernhoft Center for Advanced Medicine. Remember, he also has a new show coming up, debuting at 5 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday, September 14th, 21st Century Medicine. And Dr. Bernhoff, do you have any closing remarks and take-home messages that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, just that I think you know, for most parents, there are usually doctors that have been trained by Dan, D-A-N, exclamation point, to feed autism now. And generally, if the ones at least are certified by Dan, are usually pretty up to speed on most of the biochemical stuff we've been talking about. And I think increasingly on the detox issues as well. So that would be a good place to start, I think. All right. All right, very good. So I want to thank you for sharing this information that gets at the root of the problem and so at the root of the healing. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. I mean, I'm pretty passionate about this, having had a kid who was autistic for 10 years, so, yeah. Absolutely, and doing better now. Yeah, he's doing great now, so we're delighted. One of the most, I'll tell you, if we got 10 seconds to sit sure. I got a call from a mother a few months ago. She was crying, and he'd been on the regimen for about three months, and I thought, oh, dear, something wrong. She said, Rafi said his first words today. In fact, he said six sentences, and I said, wow, great. He said, you want to talk to him? So this little voice comes on. This kid is seven years old. He hadn't spoken since his two-year-old shots. He said, hi, doctor. I'm feeling a lot better. Thank you. <laughs> Wasn't a dry eye in the office, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Wow. All right. To our listeners, Kristen and I welcome back next week nutritionist Judy Converse. And remember to visit the National Autism Association's website at www.nationalautism.org to learn about the exciting National Autism Conference November 11th through 14th in sunny, beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autism1.org. Thank you to this program's sponsor, Enzymedica, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.